The following audio is via a Skype call. I was beaten. I thought I was going to die. I thought I saw death. But if dying was necessary to make it possible for hundreds and thousands and millions of people to be able to participate in a democratic process, that was the price to pay. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour of a Saturday. Glad to have you with us and glad to be working once again with Nathan Miller, the tall guy there at the board. We can almost make you out. You're rather a towering figure, Nathan. <laughs> Looking at the Columbia Tower, and I guess I must be the Bellevue Tower in Bellevue as the Columbia Tower is to Seattle. I like that. Oh, he picked up on that, too. That wasn't even yeah, rehearsed. Yeah, very good. Very good. Today, we're going to be talking with Robert Kopecki, and this is going to be a wider-ranging interview than I anticipated with the loss of Representative John Lewis, a civil rights icon and a great American who passed away yesterday. There are just big questions to be asked when we lose somebody who is a legitimate hero, not because of publicity, not because of public relations or image making, but because of the character of who the man was. And that certainly was true of John Lewis. And in an era when a lot of heroes are taking a fall, and that leaves us with a seriously reduced list of people we can genuinely admire in a well-rounded way. And that is certainly true of Representative John Lewis. I'm going to miss him. He was on the news a lot, speaking his truth with passion as he approached 80 years of age and battling stage four pancreatic cancer. That's a hero. Well, two heroes died on the same day. The other one being um, uh, C.T. Vivian, I believe. It was either CJ or CT. CT. But but and that's not anybody that I know about. Uh, even though he was very crucial to the civil rights movement, very John so. Lewis stayed very active right up to you know eighty years old. And John Lewis was out front because it was something that I I feel he was impelled to do. It was his place out front to be there side by side with Martin Luther King Jr. and other luminaries of the civil rights movement. But also, uh, C.T. Vivian was there, an academic man. Uh, I think he was very well respected in academic circles as well as in the civil rights movement. But he was one of those guys in back who was pushing the movement forward. He wasn't a front man. He was somebody who helped to plan, to organize and carry out these demonstrations and do his part in the struggle. But he did it with a low profile. Everybody has a role to play. And I think that will be something that will come up with our guest today. Absolutely. What, what is ours to do? Let me say a little bit about our uh, friend and author. We've got a couple of his books. One is How to Survive Life and Death, A Guide for Happiness in This World and Beyond. And his, his more recent book, How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying, Wisdom from a Near-Death Survivor. Robert Kopecki is a California-born writer, artist, and speaker who lived a variety of lives until becoming an award-winning illustrator, art director, and animation designer. In the course of his unusual path, he survived three dramatically different near-death experiences that inspired years of study and meditation and led to the publication of his first book, How to Survive Life and Death. He explores, writes, and teaches about the lessons he learned the hard way and blogs at the mindful word, Gaia.com, Soul Lifetimes, and other places around the web. His online presence is robertkopecki.blogspot.com. I can say that. And we are very happy to have him back once again, Robert Kopecki. Robert, I wanted to say, in respect of the fact that we lost two major icons of the civil rights movement, first C.T. Vivian at 95, passed away. He was known as Martin Luther King's field general. He wasn't the guy out front, though he helped make all of that happen in his way and is rightly and greatly esteemed. And of course, John Lewis, Representative John Lewis, who was known as the conscience of Congress. 
I bring it up to you, Robert, because we want to pay respect to these two gentlemen, but also because it calls to mind the idea of choice, this fundamental need to choose in life. And you're somebody who survived. You chose life when you died three times and you came back each time and you live a very meaningful life in your own right. So when it comes to choice, why don't we start there, Robert? What do we choose to do and whom do we choose to be from what source? You have a unique perspective. Suzanne and I can't share that. We've never had an NDE, as they're called. What about the element of choice and living a fulfilling life on purpose? Um, yeah, I don't recommend the means that I used to discover <laughs> some of these answers, Uh because I did have three near-death experiences, as you recall. <clears throat> so uh, listen to what I say. Don't, don't follow my example in that case. But my third one, uh, in my third near-death experience, I had, um, I had a situation that you have heard people report on before where you're on the other side, so to speak. I was, I was in a, another dimension of reality, kind of I was in a safe secure place that was had kind of a um, kind of an underground feeling it, it felt sort of womb like which is maybe very appropriate in that way uh, the, in the way that I was um, wanting to stay I didn't want to leave I didn't want to come back to this world it was my third near-death experience over 15 years and I'd kind of had it with circumstances here which I think is uh, you know a feeling that a lot of us can share right now because Things are, are pretty tough on the earth plane, you know, right now. And that's where these great spiritual and uh, um, social leaders that we have come in, uh, their karma, their karmic value to us. For me, I didn't want to come back to this plane, um, but I was told by these sort of personages uh, that are kind of indistinct in my memory, so I don't try to invest them with any you know, particular personality or anything, but... They told me that I had not done things right and that I needed to come back and that there were things that I needed to complete, things that I needed to do in this life. Now, I call that um, the gift of purpose. Uh, and it's pretty simple. Uh, each of us understands it, I believe, that um, you come into this life and you don't really know who or where you're going to be, where you're going to show up. Uh, and then there are all these things that happen to us that, that form us in, in terms of our sort of karma, and our lives present themselves to us as a series of choices uh, to be made. Lots of times um, if, we, uh, if we're attached to sort of all the material aspects, if we're worried about what we look like or who we are or how much we have, or you know what we can accomplish, what we can control in our lives. Uh, lots of times we're in for a, a rough time. Um, my sense of these people, great people, great leaders, and people who show up in these um, uh, really stressful uh, points in history, uh, like Mrs. Lewis and, and uh, Vincent, that they uh, they're kind of surrendered into their authentic being. Um, I used to walk around thinking I should be a movie star, that Martin Scorsese should run into me on the street and put me in his next movie, and that, you know, those are the kind of fantasies I had about what my life would be. As it turns out, um, you know, the fact that my wife and I moved from New York City after 30 years to California, in large part for me to be closer to my mother, who's in her 80s now, um, that kind of purpose in each of our lives is profound. That's what we're called for. And so in that sense, these, uh, these people that we've lost here in the last couple of days that were great leaders and, and the stalwarts of momentous causes, great social change in our culture, um, I believe their power comes from this kind of humility that arises in their understanding what their authentic purpose was in life. Uh, who they really were, who they, what they were really here for. It, in any moment, it's presenting itself to you, and you have a choice to do something that's more selfish or something that's more in line with love, something that removes the, the obstacles to love. 
and I believe that those those were guys that removed the obstacles to love in their life, even if it meant um, you know standing strong against uh, uh, you know taking a stand on issues and stuff like that, and taking your lives in your hands. This is something those two gentlemen, both Reverend Vivian and Representative Lewis, did. Uh, having grown up, now here again, the element of choice is something that I, I can't get out of my mind, this, this free will choice concept, because in the case of both of those esteemed gentlemen, they came along in the early days, or Reverend Vivian more so than Reverend Lewis, uh, or Representative Lewis, sorry, but they both were early in the 20th century, growing up at a time as black men who were at the effect of Jim Crow laws, of segregation, and they decided they were going to do something about it in concert with their fellow blacks and sympathetic whites, people of various ethnicities, who saw that there was a grievous historic wrong that needed to be made right, and that progress could be made societally only if we did not choose to ignore those very fundamental issues. With that being the case, there is what is presented to us once we're here. But I'm curious to know if you have ever received any information. I've done a little reading. Maybe you have as well, Robert, in addition to your own experiences. Is there this element of choice about, as we say more casually, signing up to have certain kinds of experiences or the impulse to attain significance by living not just for yourself, but for the greater good? Is that really something that we can sign up to do? Well, yeah, and we do it in every moment. Uh, and that, one of my messages is that, you know, after the, the three near-death experiences, the, um, the consistent factor uh, to consider was that I was still alive in each of them. I was me in this moment. So uh, my first out-of-body experience, I was me in that dimension. Uh, my, my second one was uh, what's called a life review experience, and I was me. I was observing aspects of my life and choices that I had made, and mostly the wrong choices that I'd made. It was not the greatest hits, my, my life review. And the same way with this third one where, um, you know, I had this, uh, it wasn't really up to me ultimately because I was forced back into this life, uh, so to speak, and <clears throat> the, the, it became obvious to me that my life was presenting me with this form that indicated how I fit in. I, I came, uh, became able to accept my family members, uh, my lot in life, you know, my circumstances, um, and what my calling was and how I could affect change in it. Um, I came to recognize that in each moment there is kind of an intersection that one faces in one's life. When you're given these, these choices, there's something that automatically happens as a result of um, oftentimes our ego's relationship, who we're supposed to be or you know, what we should be able to get done here, how come I'm not able to get this done or how can I be effective here or I'm not measuring up somehow based on judgment and comparison, those kinds of things. Um, and oftentimes that leads to complications and difficulties in life. And then there's another way where you basically surrender into life. I, I like to use the, the Native American uh, metaphor that if you're, if you're tired of rowing upstream, turn around. <laughs> Your life is flowing in a direction and carrying you on <clears throat> this kind of river of information and data that you are, uh, your genes, your experiences, how you fit in, where in history we are, you know, that kind of stuff. And it, when you relax into it, it begins to uh, show you what your participation needs to be. And you, you come to these places in your life, these parts where... It, intersections, kind of choices to be made. There's a fork in the road, like Yogi Berra said, you know, when there's a fork in the road, take it. Right. 
Yogi Berra, by the way, lived on a circle. So if you took either fork, you would get to his house. <laughs> you but probably we, planned we, that. <laughs> yeah, we, that's the source of that's the nature of his wisdom, right? Is that it really right. was always true. And and so we have this kind of choice happening before us all the time. And do I have to go this direction over here that feeds into my fears, into my comparative and judgmental nature? That's automatic. It's kind of self-defensive. You could say say it's instinctual. Or am I going to try something else that that aligns me more with this kind of fluid force that I feel in my life? You know, I call that heaven because in my second book, How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying, heaven is not a locality, it's not an address, it's a state of being where kindness, honesty, humility, forgiveness, compassion, and service are, are the means by which we align ourselves with that state. And so for me, that's what governs my choices as best as I possibly can. If we can put those principles of being kind and compassionate to people, honest, humble, forgiving, and being of service uh, to people, if we put that out in front of us, then that helps our choice an awful lot, rather than, you know, living in the corner I've painted myself into through my fears. One of the things I've been hearing quite a bit on the news today was how kind and compassionate a person Representative Lewis was. It, it, he, that has been said by many, many people today, that uh, he, his fork in the road could have been that he was angry and vengeful and wanted to get back at the world for what the world had done to him. And it seems like the choice that he took was the choice of love. And I think of each and every individual person as being kind of a puzzle piece connected to a whole lot more puzzle pieces. But the one thing that that uh, kind of interferes with that analogy is that the puzzle's stagnant. And it's almost as though people can come along and change the puzzle itself. It, by by making certain choices, you're go you're actually changing how the world looks, and and I guess this has been something that has been on my mind for this year, for 2020, this year when we thought it was going to be extremely different from what it turned out to be, when we were toasting in the new year, January one, we had all kinds of very very optimistic plans. And so the, the colors of this year, the choices of this year, have certainly been directed by the uh, coronavirus and by our uh, response to that. And, and then I see, you know, what's happening with all the demonstrations. And, and I ask myself, is there some fundamental change in the entire puzzle that's going on? Have we been struggling with this for decades, perhaps centuries? And is there, are we actually going to see a shift in humanity based on the fact that so many people are dying and we are all in this together? We do have to look out for one another, or we'll just be in some of those ice trucks they have with the overflow of bodies. And so, do you have a sense in yourself, Robert, from where you're coming from, that this, out of all of this horrific stuff, there could actually be something good at the end of it? Well, um, sure. I mean, that, that, yes, it's one thing definitely that 2020 has demonstrated to us, isn't it, Suzanne, is that bad things happen, right? <laughs> oh, Yeah. There's no escaping that, and they have kind of descended uh, on us now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's – I'm a little bit more um, about the individual experience because that's what these near-death experiences did for me, was help, help to inform what each of our experiences is here in this life and then in any life. You know, there's – Presumably I was alive before this, and I'm pretty certain that I was alive after this because I experienced uh, those dimensions. I was not shown a master plan or some sort of greater 
context other than the fact that in each of my experiences, um, my individual thought uh, sort of collapsed or evaporated. I was enfolded into a greater mind. I had a sense of being part of a larger thought process, you know, kind of, you would call it kind of divine mind or something. And, and some of these things that happened to me then, the genie's kind of hard to get back in the bottle because now when I look at these, when I look at what's happening in our culture, I, um, I have an experience of a broader consciousness of it, like you're talking about. And I can tell you something uh, for certain in my personal experience in that sense, yeah, is that yes, we are evolving spiritually on a very great scale. And it is happening throughout uh, humanity, and it is actually linking us together more strongly with the, the uh, natural life of the planet, including animals, for example, our uh, ability to, uh, to be informed by animal intelligence is growing all the time. In the pandemic quarantine, a lot of people are having an experience of their partnership with their, the animals in their life in a whole different way. Including their husbands and wives. <laughs> Sorry, it's okay. <laughs> but but um, when I was a kid, uh, you know, nobody cared about a stand of trees being sawed down or so, or a barrel of something being dumped into the ocean. That was standard practice. And uh, now, just a few short years later, um, this is of great interest to everybody. And. And so we have all evolved spiritually in that sense where we're more connected with the earth and more connected with one another. There was uh, the idea of something like the Internet was science fiction completely. And now, instantaneously, I can share thoughts and feelings with anybody in the rest of the world. And so these things are happening uh, in the context of our own personal lives or our own country or uh, the horrible things that we're going through right now, it's difficult to have that kind of expansive viewpoint, but it's functioning nonetheless, right? It's happening nonetheless. Yeah. And well, I like, yeah, go ahead. The idea that these bad things are informing something better is as obvious as you have darkness on one side and light on the other, and the darkness informs the light. You know, we, uh, we are being presented with this, by what means, we don't really know. It's a mystery. Yet it is an opportunity for us to understand that we are all one, no matter what we might have believed about what makes us different. That's not true. Those differences uh, have, are dissolving before our very eyes. The things that we may have thought were important in our lives, about who we were, what our status was, those things, a lot of them have fallen by the wayside, too. Um, the kind of evil that can be perpetrated, the destruction that can be perpetrated by unconscious people in, in this world is now much more clear to us than it was before, that the actions of, of uh, our leadership or of um, these kinds of organizations of, of uh, false thought, of, of uh, unconscious reaction, they're very, they can be very powerful, and we have to organize and be stalwart uh, against them to make sure that, that these sort of forces of darkness, it's almost medieval, right? There's a, a darkness fell across the land, all right? Um, so we have to, um, we have to uh, be, in, we're being informed about the nature of, of that good and evil uh, right now, too. So those are three major ways that... that um, we are being taught or being given an opportunity to uh, make different choices uh, in our life, you know, based on our ability to, um, to be in touch with everybody all the time and to experience the nature of the world and uh, to uh, be presented with these options and opportunities that hard times inevitably present us with, whether we like it or not, you know. Gary, you've all, always talked about having gone through the crisis door to get to a better place, and now it looks like that's happening on a global scale, going yeah, through the crisis door the soul, to, right? to get to a better place. And we hear about that with individuals, but the planet is going through this now, and front and center, America, 
We're the hotspot for COVID-19. Right. We're where death is happening. We're also going through, at least if we aren't, we're going through the process where very soon we're going to see a seismic shift, in my opinion, politically and socioeconomically, because it's clear to millions of us that we cannot keep going the way we are. Right. This pitch and toss struggle back and forth. There has to be a way forward, and the way forward should not be incessant struggle. Maybe I'm too optimistic. I don't know, Robert. Uh, well, no, no. I, and it's, it is similar to an individual's life where somebody goes through something horrible, and we all do. Uh, I talked about this in, in my first book, How to Survive Life and Death, that the death experience isn't just when you die. Uh, this pandemic experience is a kind of death experience in many ways for people. You know, what you thought you were, your career, perhaps, has suddenly ended. Um, I can't go visit my mom. Uh, you know, my relationship with her is on a completely different level uh, now than I intended it to be. Uh, these, these parts, these passages, uh, come and go in our lives, and there's no escaping them, right? It's absolutely essential to be present for it and uh, to grow as a result of it. Uh, oftentimes, the kind of absolute humility that, that uh, these very difficult times uh, place us in is when we become teachable, is when we become most teachable. And if you hold the planet at arm's length and look at it, it is a single entity. The, uh, all of humankind appears as a kind of a gentle fuzz, you know, kind of like mold or something on the face of the globe. And so we are a, um, a community of species just like any other, just like moss on a rock. There are certain conditions that are going to affect the whole colony, and that's what's happening uh, to us now. The, uh, the sort of tortured gift of independent thought that, that human beings seem to have alone of all the animal life forms uh, here tends to make us think that there's something special about us or that we're being put upon or that there's fairness or injustice in, in, that, in that bad stuff happening to us. But uh, the fact is that it's, uh, it's coming, it's washing over us, it's changing the whole nature of, uh, of humanity's existence on the planet, whether, whether we like it or not. And when you realize that, and when you join into that, then that, become, that begins to inform, inform you. And so as a culture, as an entity, there are, these, uh, there are these elements of coherence that are arising, these emergent qualities and natures that are survival-based that are arising. And I would submit, uh, having had these profound spiritual experiences, that the solutions and the evolution is a spiritual one more than any other. And you can look at um, the concept of the yugas in Hinduism, or the Mayan calendar is a, a great example of that. Everybody remembers 2012 when the world was supposed to end. Well, what the Mayans were actually saying wasn't that the world was going to end in 2020, but that the era of power was coming to a close, and it was going to be supplanted by an era of ethics, and that it wasn't going to be easy, as this, the shift from era to era never is. And when you look at, at uh, where we are right now, these structures of power, of, of willful force, of, of subjecting the planet to our will, to our selfish will, uh, that's backfiring. That's what you're talking about. That's unsustainable. We're not going to be able to sustain human life on this planet following that direction. And so the tumult that we see now, uh, these kind of catastrophes cascading and these responses of great courage by people and by groups of people, there are indications that, uh, that this change is taking place, right, and it has to. And uh, ethics is going to, or is currently in the, its action right now, it's supplanting this power uh, motive that uh, people have had. And, you know, it's, it's fitful, it's difficult, 
but it is causing us to come together in a way. It just it never happens on the schedule I'd like it to. You know, I'd like all this to be figured out by Christmas if I could, but that's not going to happen. It may be another lifetime or generation or two generations or more before this settles itself out. Robert, let's take a break now. Wow, I hope it doesn't take that long. None of us do, except those who have a stake in the status quo. There is that, and there are those who prefer their politics to be authoritarian in nature. Robert Kopecki is our honored guest of the hour. We are talking about weighty subjects, and we're happy to do that in his good company and yours. We are Manson Mitchell. We will take this one break of the hour right now. Give us a couple of minutes and then more as we discuss the state of things as they are and as they might be. We're Manson Mitchell, and you're tuned in to Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. If you talk and they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. So talk, they hear you. You can do it if you try. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Vincent Jenna, celebrity medium and metaphysical teacher, who has a lot to say about living spiritually even in the most challenging times. On Saturday, Malia Jacobs shares her philosophy of the good life, as she can attest from a wealth of experience. Undergoing leads to overcoming. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Robert Kopecki. Robert, if people would like to get your books or connect with you online, where's the best place for them to do that? Well, um, www.robertkopecki.com or robertkopecki.blogspot.com. Either of those places are good places. I'm offering my books direct now. You can get a signed copy of, of either how to how to survive life and death or how to get to heaven without really dying, which is the important part. Um, so, and otherwise, you know, you can get them on Amazon and all that stuff, uh, too. Good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Robert, I wanted to get back to what we were talking about. We had a good stream of consciousness going there. 
Yeah, light they, conversation for a Saturday morning. Light and breezy. You've got it right. <laughs> when I think about all that's going on globally, I'm reminded of a principle from the philosophy and religion of Taoism. I used to read in, in that pretty intensively many years ago, and I've, I've gone on to study some other things, but this is a takeaway from many years ago. Taoism teaches that you know, with the yin and yang and all of that, when structures are no longer useful for life, that's capital L life, when they are no longer workable and they don't serve the greater good, inevitably, and maybe in concert with other factors and other trends, those structures will be undermined so that they pass into history. They get washed away in effect and something right. new and hopefully more stable will take its place. But that process is almost never seamless or tidy. It is most often messy and even bloody. And I think that's what we've seen in the lives of the people that we celebrate today, Representative John Lewis and Reverend C.T. Vivian, two great civil rights icons. And there's a little piece of us in this struggle because there is COVID-19. We are living through a 100-year pandemic. We'll never see anything quite like it again. There may be other pandemics, but all of us had to face this because suddenly it was upon us. And we only read about the Spanish flu of 1918 and 1919 if we took that history class. And now we look at this, and, and I wonder, Robert, if, if we're going to see a change in society perforce because there didn't seem to be an easy way to do it. Um, yeah, well, when you look at the lives of these great civil rights leaders, it was not easy. Um, the, what I would point out is that these are people for whom uh, eternal principles are most important. Um, and that is to say, these sort of principles of kindness and honesty, humility, forgiveness, compassion, service, uh, the equality of all human experience, you know, the, the real equal nature of people. We're all the same thing. We're all experiencing the same thing. There is nobody who is by right more important than somebody else. Uh, commercially, that may be the case. And that really is the difference. Uh, the Taoism that you talked about is just this eternal common sense, uh, right? Um, but it doesn't sell soap. Uh, we have overlaying our global, natural global system, an artificial system of commerciality that dictates, uh, you know, what's hot and what's not uh, to us. So we're always being presented with this picture of the world um, in terms of what buttons can be pushed to, uh, to uh, force a sort of commercial engagement all the time. I mean, you see it in the pandemic right now. No, the economy is the most important. Economy is more important than human life. You've got to go back to work whether you want to or not because the economy is in trouble. Well, we're all starting to learn that that just ain't going to work, <laughs> you know, unless you are willing to sacrifice uh, hundreds of thousands of lives. Um, that's not the nature of the problem. The nature of the problem is our coming into alignment with the actual uh, processes of our planet and becoming stewards to that uh, and starting to reject this kind of false uh, commercial assertion, this willful uh, enforcement of you know, these uh, commercial um, structures on the nature of life itself uh, that that aren't working anymore, that aren't sustainable, that, that uh, don't serve the greatest number of our brothers and sisters on the planet. Um, and it is messy because this world is kind of like a spiritual elementary school, so to speak, where uh, grades one through six are attending simultaneously. Um, I would like to think that I'm in the fourth or fifth grade and maybe I'm going to be in the sixth grade uh, pretty soon. I'm hoping to get to junior high school someday. But in the meantime, uh, the people that are in the first grade and that are trying to control, they, are, uh, they operate on the basis of fear 
so they're trying to control things so that they aren't scared all the time, which leads to them being scared all the time. They become bullies, they become destructive, and they become our leaders because it's important for them to be in charge. The, the most uh, humble uh, people that you've met in your life oftentimes are the most attractive people, and in many ways the most powerful people, too. John Lewis was a man of great power. Uh, Martin Luther King or, or uh, Mahatma Gandhi, tremendous power, all, all uh, dressed in tremendous humility. That was the source of it. So they have these eternal uh, kinds of relationships uh, going on as their priority in life. And that is what is going to end up, that will trump Trump, <laughs> so to speak, you know, um, because we're, we're left with a, a, a reality that occurs when you, when you hit bottom you are, and you attain that kind of absolute humility, you become teachable. And we are becoming teachable right now as a collective uh, culture, as a collective intelligence on the planet. We also need to get some of that humility when it comes to ourselves as a nation, because when you were talking about being willful, I think that is very likely how we appear to the rest of the nations is that we're just going to do it our way and that's it and don't tell us what to do and you know when you see people acting out in that way you know Gary and I kind of shake our heads and saying they're they're going to kill each other by by not following the science wearing the mask doing the social distancing but as a nation we are a very willful nation and, and we're saying we're going to do it our way and don't be bothering us with all the rest of that stuff. And, and so I hope as a nation we, we get the absolute humility that you were talking about because it's embarrassing that we have more COVID-19 than any other country on the planet. And it's not going down. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, the first graders are in charge is what that means uh, to, to utilize my, my, my uh, elementary school metaphor. Uh, right. Uh, and um, there's, there is a way to escape that, and that's through action. You know, the, this are all, these are all sort of karmatic relations, karmic relationships uh, that we have. As a country, uh, we're being forced now, and this is the beautiful thing of the Black, Black Lives Matter uh, movement, is that we're being forced to confront the fact that we really were based on genocide and enslavement of people. Um, that just is true. I'm, I'm a patriot, and I love the United States. I love America. Um, but I recognize that that is the nature of our beginnings. I'm part Native American myself and have experienced that within myself my entire life. And it simply is reality. Um, but nations are also kind of like uh, kind of like students at the elementary school too. You know, the United States is a fairly young country that's based on um, sort of willfulness. You know, and the uh, the other, some of the other countries that are older that have been around a little longer and made these kinds of mistakes in the past. Um, you know, they kind of recognize that the, the degree to which you desire to control things is directly proportional to the degree to which you will cause suffering for yourself and for others. And that's something that we're coming to terms with uh, now, and it's almost always the hard way. Uh, nobody ever whistles into uh, rebirth, <laughs> you know. Yes. It, it, it's always a tough passage and requires a kind of a death, a death to an ego self, or in this case, a death to a, a system a kind of a, a political system, a commercial system uh, that's being imposed on the true nature of the planet. And what else other than, you know, a virus, a natural form to, to, to bring you up to speed on uh, surviving on this planet? You know, we're, not, these are not a commercial set of rules we're dealing with. <laughs> it's, well, what we need to do is, is, you know, we need to stick with the protocol, uh, stop being impatient, 
stick with the protocol for a couple of months and turn the corner on it, and then begin to use science to uh, actively um, extinguish it, as has happened in other countries. And I think that's probably pretty obvious to most people. The problem is that when you're in a commercial culture like we are, all of our news media and stuff is selling soap all the time. So they are speaking for that 10% that wants you to think that half of the people feel one way and half feel the other. That's not true. 80 or 85% of the people feel one way and 15% of the people feel the other way. There is no parity there. It's only being represented that way to us by people who want to sell soap. You know? Or, or cars or big pharma. Or at the Resolute <laughs> desk in the <laughs> Oval <laughs> Office, you can have an array of beans to sell, canned beans. Uh, well, you know, I think a lot of this is so culturally ingrained. And this is what I was hearing uh, Donald Trump's niece, Mary, say on her interview Thursday night with Rachel Maddow, is that it was so common in their family to be racist that they couldn't see outside of that. Nobody would flinch right. because that's just the way things are. And, you know, I can look at, at that and, and kind of laugh at that. And yet, as more and more is coming out, I'm saying to myself, I have many, many blind spots. And I just, right. I have not seen them until they've been pointed out to me. And they've been pointed out in the news ever since, um, you know, George Floyd died and there's been all of the uh, protests. It's like as I listen more, I'm saying, wow, you know, I have things in my background that lead me to think a particular way about crime and about, um, you know, what's going on in the world that may not necessarily be true. I've been very influenced by the media as well and by what it is that I've been fed by the culture that I live in, not just family and friends and school, but the wider culture, the, the, the media, the television, the music, the everything, where uh, the movies, where, you know, I now look at life a certain way and it may not be the way I think it is. That, that's kind of shocking. Well, and that's the value of passing through these difficult times. I mean, what you're describing to me is that having to confront uh, this sort of pain and difficulty has made you have to reassess uh, what, you're, uh, what you're made up of. You have become teachable in a way that you hadn't been prior to this, right? I think you, so, Robert. You begin yes. to see some of the structures of your life kind of falling apart. They were always uh, somewhat delusional or uh, illusionary um, in reality. And in that way, you know, America is not unlike a, a person itself or a family. Um, you know, our American family has been like the Trump family that, that Mary Trump describes in many ways uh, for a long time. When I was a kid, you know, women had their place. Uh, there was a very strict segregation in a lot of places. Uh, we've grown beyond that, and we're experiencing a kind of a, uh, a kickback against that kind of thing. I mean, I, I don't think that there's, there's any coincidence that, that, um, that culturally and politically things are happening as a response to Mr. Obama having been, uh, you know, the first African-American president. Um, but... But, um, you know, our, our family has expanded. Uh, we've, you know, we've married uh, people from other countries, and our family is much larger than it used to be, and our means of, of communicating with each other are expansive and all-encompassing. And so we know that we're much more than, than that, and we all recognize now, spiritually, we all recognize what a stunted, uh, what a diminished kind of uh, form of living this is, to uh, to be self entitled or to feel that yes. one race is superior to another's. It's so obvious yeah. now. The Redskins yeah. are not going to be the Redskins anymore. Thank God. You know? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's <laughs> right. That's right. You know, we have First Americans. We have Native Americans here. They're a part of who we are, and we can't continue to deny that reality anymore. We have to open our arms 
and, and encompass everything that we can be, and that's where our spiritual potential is. And it's happening, but it's rough, and it's going to be rough for a little while still here, too. It's not happening on my schedule, like I said earlier. Uh, you know, that's interesting, Robert. When you say that, too, you, you put me in mind of different periods of history. For example, in my own lifetime, people refer to Watergate historically, in historical terms. This is what happened, and Richard Nixon resigned the presidency. I lived through Watergate, and we didn't know when it was going to come to an end. We didn't know what the culmination right. would be until the last couple of weeks before the actual resignation until of the president. Happens. Yeah. It was like another day of this, another lawsuit. This is going to the Supreme Court. People in the media all around, everybody with an opinion. And I thought, is this ever going to be over? I was in college at the time, and it was a huge distraction, and we did not know the end date. Prior to that, much, much bigger, World War II. Nobody knew about the bomb except the people making it and deciding whether or not to use it. We didn't know when World War II was going to come to an end. Even after we beat the Nazis, we still weren't done. And so I look at this now in terms of the pandemic, and I guess I just have to exercise this patience, which you encourage us to adopt if we're not patient already, acquire some patience. And I really see your point, Robert, because there is no expiration date on trouble in life or on crises. Certainly the virus doesn't give a damn. And so it's important for us to exercise our best judgment and to be good citizens. You, when you put on a mask, which is really bringing you down to the fine points, when you keep your distance and you put on a mask, you are showing a proper degree of social interest. And I would think that anyone is entitled to that from their fellow citizens and to it's incumbent on us to do that ourselves. Every one of us. Oh, right, yeah, and those are the kind. Those are the kind of fine points of our material experience, and where these principles of, of kindness and honesty and humility and forgiveness and compassion and being of service to one another enter into our choices in the here and now. But what you're touching on is a very, very important point. It's that larger point of the eternal nature of things of recognizing the eternal. These are eternal principles that we can bring into finer de the finer details of our life, but they align us with a much greater reality. As human beings, we have a misperception problem. We perceive ourselves as being individual units that are joined together by uh, like needs and and all of, and we actually are always one with God, so to speak. We are all part and parcel of the same beautiful divine consciousness being expressed through the surface of this planet. And so beautiful, Robert. We've got to go there. And I'm sorry to cut you off. Beautifully <laughs> stated. Yes. Oneness, everybody. Oneness. Thank you, Robert Kopecki, for joining us again. We'd love to have you back sometime. Have a great weekend. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.